This is episode number 14 with former Navy SEAL Dave Lopez. Welcome to The Marriage Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Price, international marriage interventionist and best-selling co-author of Success Breakthroughs. On this show, I provide innovative solutions for marital success by focusing on personal development and relationship transformation. Every week, I'll be talking with thought leaders from around the world and will be providing your weekly dose of wisdom so you can catapult yourselves to marital success and true life fulfillment. I ask you to love one another, encourage and support each other, and live with passion. Are you ready? Here we go. Dave Lopez is a former U.S. Navy SEAL has extensive direct action experience in terrorism countermeasures and protective operations. He's a subject matter expert regarding tactical operations, terrorist countermeasures, protection, security, and close quarter combat, and has supported countless intelligence operations globally. Since leaving the Navy, he has trained over 20 SWAT teams and instructed numerous special response teams for the Department of Homeland Security. Fast forward to now. Dave currently is the lead tactical instructor for Operation Underground Railroad, a nonprofit organization comprised of retired special ops guys that rescue children from sexual and human slavery. He conducts global missions with Operation Underground Railroad. Dave is also the current director of operations for the Nazarene Fund, an organization Glenn Beck founded that's dedicated to the liberation of those captured and enslaved due to religious persecution. Why am I having this man on a marriage podcast? Because this man exemplifies true masculinity, not because of his big muscles, charming personality, and dashing good looks, and not because he's a total badass Navy SEAL capable of handling the world's most dangerous situations and people, but because he is a complete gentleman, a man of integrity, a family man pure of heart, a man that knows true masculinity, what it means, and how to live it. Today, Dave and I are talking about men, masculinity, and marriage. Without further ado, let's bring on the amazing Superman himself, a man I am deeply humbled to know and have on the show, Dave Lopez. Dave, welcome to The Marriage Show. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's it's my honor, my honor. Before we dive in, I want to ask you the same question I ask all of my guests. What is love to you? Love to me is, I guess if I had to sum it up, would just be consistent actions. Uh, I see love through, you know, those, the choice to actually do something, not as much in, in verbalizing it. Even though I love, I love when my wife tells me she loves me, I see it more through action. Mm. Love it, love it. All right, Mr. Navy Seal, the man that <laughs> the man that goes to the darkest corners of the earth to fight the most atrocious of all evils. Let's talk men, masculinity, and marriage. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what is masculinity to you and why is the topic important to you? 
the first part of that question to me, masculinity is the ability for a man to think and, and live his life for himself and not, not in a way that's subordinate to others. And that, that could be in a number of ways, whether that's religion, whether it's obviously personal spirituality, or whether it's in relationships that a man has his own identity that's not formed by other entities around him, that his identity is formed within himself. The second part, it's important today, is in my view, it's masculinity has really, it's been kind of bastardized a little bit, and, and people have kind of substituted the macho stereotype as being masculinity. But typically, the macho stereotypes have very little self-respect and identity themselves. It's it's kind of a portrayal of, of a man who's kind of a misogynist or a man who is, you know, someone who, who really sees himself as the pinnacle of life. And it's kind of an arrogant, egotistical stereotype that we have as well. So I think, I think how do we get past the, what men think a real man is and what they typically aspire to be like, as opposed to what it really is on the inside, which is back to that whole self-identity idea. Mm -hmm. So when you think about masculinity, especially in marriage, what type of characteristics in a man would you describe as being masculine? A lot of it's morality. The idea that, you know, when you make a mistake that you'll own up to it, you won't hide your faults, you'll be honest about them. You'll have enough humility to examine yourself before others. You'll always be harder on yourself than others. And when you live that way, I think it's the the perfect, you know, recipe for a woman to be attracted to because a woman that doesn't feel like a man is hiding from his faults, it's easier to let your trust, you know, kind of go into that person instead of feeling like you constantly have to be reminding them, which of course, many men don't like being reminded of their faults by other people, but also the flip side is men have to be honest about their faults as well and, and, and have integrity. Hmm. Love it. So humility, honesty, owning yourself, like having accountability. I think in another conversation you and I had, you said something that I don't hear from men very often when they're talking about masculinity, and you said that's standing up for what you believe is right. In fighting for those who can't necessarily fight for themselves, that's what you're doing today. Being virtuous, and these are all things that I look at you and see, so thank you. In, our, in the more ancient cultures, men were all required to be a part of you know, that protective you know, layer for the rest of society. And there is a part of all of us, men, that we, we desire to be protectors. So I think regardless of how a man exemplifies that, that is, you know, that role of, of guarding and defending is, I think, inside of our DNA and uh, in, in our blood. So I think the more we understand that and can harness that and can exemplify that, the more we're going to portray the right attributes to women that they look for in a man. So I think this is one of the biggest issues of why men are kind of failing in terms of leading and leading the right way all the leadership is being seen as kind of egotistical leadership you know and not like you know just get in line you know for for their spouse when it, it should be leading by example and and through action and through that true genuine sense of of compassion and you know, that protective instinct yeah no i agree i i hear from so many women and as a woman myself i can attest when a woman is in a relationship Yes, we want love and romance, but I think the the top two are really 
you know, protection. We want to feel protected, safe, secure, and we want to feel properly led. But like you said, with humility, so not not an easy role for you guys for sure. Where did <laughs> not, not at all? <laughs> no pressure. Where did you learn masculinity? Well, man, I have to trace it all back. As I was growing up, I had an experience that profoundly impacted the rest of my life. That at the time I didn't realize was as big of a deal as it was. But I had a really tough upbringing and. I was, there was a time in my life where I was being bullied. I was about eight or nine years old, and I didn't really have a, a father in my life. I had a mother that, that was terribly depressed that I didn't really you know, connect with either. So I had a kind of tough upbringing. But my grandfather was probably the greatest man I ever knew, and he stepped in a lot to, to help raise me in times where no one else really would. So this, I was getting bullied by this kid. He wouldn't stop, wouldn't stop picking on me and then hitting me eventually. And I didn't know what to do about it. And I was, I was kind of hiding it a lot. And uh, my grandfather kind of got it out of me and I kind of spilled the beans. I didn't really want to. I felt kind of ashamed about it. And, and what he did, it's kind of interesting. He taught me how to punch. He taught me how on his stomach, he taught me to defend myself. But first and foremost, he taught me, you know, to always walk away if I could from any kind of altercation. He also taught me how to fight though, if I needed to, how to stand up for myself. And, and, Eventually, you know, that bully came back around and I ended up, you know, letting him know in a very physical way not to and, and kind of ended that whole thing and stood up to him. And that was the first time I stood up to a bully. And I don't think I was ever, you know, had some other things happen later in life, but I was never bullied in that way. And I can't imagine what my life would be like had he not stepped in at that young age to develop that side in me. He was an amazing man. And later on in his life, he was lying on his deathbed. And he had cancer and it got too, gotten too far. And it was his last day with us. And I was about 12 or 12 years old, 13 years old. He invited me in. He was supposed to be on too many you know, drugs to even be able to be coherent. And he, uh, he asked me to come by the bed and he was able to actually speak, which I was stunned by. And he, and he brought me really close to the bed. And he said, David, always do the right thing, my boy. And um, that was the last words he ever spoke to me his example and, and just what he decided to teach me and then also how he lived his life. And also that, that final, you know, statement that's been ringing in my ears ever since I think have had probably the biggest impact on, on why my life took the turns that it did, why I chose the Navy SEAL teams, why I chose the path that I'm on now. So I can't imagine where I would be without him. I love that. Always do the right thing, my boy. Love it. Love it. My mom and dad told me always growing up and my sister as well, They, especially my dad, he would step in and say, the right thing to do is often the hard thing to do. But yes. it's but you know, but it's really important that you do step up and, and do whatever is right. So well thank God for your grandfather. What a beautiful Absolutely. what a beautiful presence to have in your life, especially so early oh. on. Yeah, I, I oftentimes thought about what my life, where where would I have gone had that example not been there? I, I, I can't answer that, but it's it does make me wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. What about your time as a Navy SEAL? Did that change your masculinity in any way? Yeah, it did. And part of my reasoning, like half of me truly wanted to just defend the country and the other half chose to go to the Navy SEAL because I really wanted to define myself. I really wanted to see what I was made of and I wanted to make my own definition of myself, not other people's. 
And I think that's deeply why a lot of men go on these endeavors. It's not just the patriotic duty that we all have. It's, it's really, we want to find out something about ourselves. Even in the SEAL teams, you get, you know, you find different versions of manliness that is being portrayed. Sometimes the false, you know, insecure, it's truly insecurity that's masked in, you know, guys trying to be macho, trying to be super tough. You see that at times, but really I I met so many amazing uh, SEALs and got to train and work with some of the most amazing guys that really have integrity and are sincere in their in their desire and their desires are you know a lot of times we get portrayed as these kind of crazy guys i don't know it seems like in the media we always seem like we're extreme kind of crazy group and we are a little bit extreme but most guys join for the reasons of protecting others and wanting to protect others and for me being in that community and being engrossed in that community i made some of the best friends of my life i found out a lot about myself it helped me form my own identity about myself and that's honestly (laughs) probably not that I define myself through just the SEAL teams but as far as as far as how I view myself the challenges that I went through during that time have deeply insulated my own identity of myself Hmm. yeah I think in an environment like that you know you're talking about true masculinity and humility versus this you know modern day macho false sense of identity and false sense of masculinity. I think in an environment like the SEALs, you're almost, it seems from outsiders looking in, it seems like you're almost forced as a group to help keep each other humble and honest and really focused on what is important. Would you agree? Absolutely. We are, we are the toughest. In, one thing you learn in the SEAL teams, probably the most effective concept you learn in the SEAL teams is self-critique. And I think, I think if more people got used to simply being honest with themselves about themselves, and we do that in a number of ways. One of the ways we do that is after every mission, we do something called an after action report. And this is where we all discuss, even if the mission was successful, we discuss all the issues that we had on that mission. And many times this gets very personal because people are responsible for different parts of this mission. And we are very, very, very honest with each other. And it doesn't matter what rank you are. It doesn't matter who you are in the pecking order. We all learn to really, really critique ourselves. And if there's anything that we find in our mission that we could have done differently, we find it and then we change it. And we make sure that it's a new rule going forward that we never do X, Y, or Z, you know, again. So it's a constant refinement, a constant self-analysis, a collective self-analysis as well. And so not only are you critiquing yourself, you're also letting others critique you in front of others. So I think this is all very healthy. And I think this in general will, even if you have no desire to you know, be in the SEAL teams or anything like that, just the idea of, of truly being honest with yourself is something that I think will transform a person's life. Yeah. And it seems like it really has, you know, set you up and, and almost trained you for marriage as well, because when you're in a situation where, you know, you're with all these, even though it's tough guys versus a very feminine (laughs) woman, such as your wife, it really kind of prepares you to, to hear critique, which happens in marriage. But then it seems like it, what you just described really helps foster teamwork as well, because you, you're in a situation where you're receiving critique. But the critique is coming from a very honest, humble, loving place where people are genuinely 
concerned for and care about your well-being as well as everyone else's, which I think, you know, when you can receive it in that way, it fosters teamwork right. as well, which helps prepare you for marriage too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely, you know, and we do it in a very systematic way. I mean, you get used to it. And I've, I've realized there's definitely a lot of people in this world in, in the business world and, and, and all over that aren't used to being critiqued at all. Whether you're looking at it from just a personal success goal or whatever it is in life, I mean, there's nothing more valuable than than understanding not just your strengths, but also your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how we really develop, whether that's as a team, you know, working together to, to fight terrorism or whether we're learning to appreciate another person that we're married to. It, it takes seeing yourself and being honest about yourself to allow yourself to truly see where someone else is coming from as well. Before you matured, before you developed your own sense of self-identity and grew into masculinity, what was life like? What did it feel like then compared to now? Remarkably different than now. The way I grew up, it was it was a really difficult home life, a very dirty home life, very literally. Like a, we, I grew up in a very uh, dirty environment. Like I said, a depressed mother that, you know, if social service had been called and come into our house, I would have been taken out at any point in time. Mm. And so for me, like growing up, I had this very negative self-image, like I'm dirty. I'm not like other people. And deep down, I really thought, you know, I was lesser than, than everyone and kind of saw myself in that way. It had a huge impact on my life, even down to how I was, what kind of person I was looking for at the time as a spouse, you know, I was, instead of looking for the right qualities in a female, I was looking for someone worse than me that I could rescue. (laughs) And that's because I thought like, well, at least the attention won't be on me and my problems. You know, (laughs) you see how crazy that is. But, um, so, I mean, for me until that moment in my life where I fully decided to, uh, create my own identity. And part of that was, you know, going through the SEAL teams and other decisions like that. But it was a constant state of decisions where I was like, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to, I'm going to be whoever I choose to be right now and define myself in those terms and see if I can hack it, you know, if you, and not just fake it. Yeah. I, I was, I was a completely different person in almost every way. And so now that you have experienced, you know, coming into masculinity and developing your sense of self-identity, how do you feel now compared to then? What's the difference in, in how you feel, how you carry yourself, the things you think about? Man, I feel at peace. When you walk around needing people's approval for your own happiness, it is a constant state of worry, stress, anxiety. And it also, it makes little things seem bigger. A lot of times, and many men struggle with this, like many men are so lacking identity and females have such a powerful way of influencing a man's identity. And a lot of men aren't even honest about it, but when you don't have your identity in your own mind solidified, the smallest thing, especially that a spouse does, can have devastating effects on you and can make you think very, very small of yourself. It's just the problem is most men aren't being honest about this. You know, even something as small as an eye roll can communicate deep disrespect. And if a man doesn't have his own identity is going to feel like less of a man, even from something that small. And so 
to be able to have your own identity and not to have it based off of, I don't want, I don't ever want my wife to feel like she's a hundred percent responsible for me feeling like a man every day. That's my responsibility. You know what I mean? I don't think, I don't want to put it all on her, even though she can greatly help me. You know, she can, I'm not going to lie when, when she makes me feel like a king, it still makes me feel like a king. <laughs> you know, like I, I like it, but I don't need her to do it in order for me to know who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and so she doesn't feel this burden to constantly be, you know, reinforcing it. So for me, you know, having this identity and being able to walk around and knowing what I stand for, knowing what I don't stand for and sticking to those things and not, you know, always being willing to reason. Like if I, if I realize I'm, I'm standing for something that someone can argue me out of and I truly get convinced, I always want to be someone willing to question and challenge even my own viewpoints. But when I'm confident about something that I know is right, I believe that's where we have to stand firm and we, we don't need to be shy about it. I think we should all be very honest about those things and not, and we're kind of in a world right now that no one wants to offend or no one wants to, you know, <laughs> do anything that kind of breaks that mold. But I think we should be willing to stand for what we believe in. Yeah. Agreed. I love it. Love it. How do you think men fail in marriage when they're not masculine? I believe in, in many times we, we start almost, and not to say this in a, in a negative way, we almost start taking on some feminine traits. I want, I want to make sure I don't say that it sounds negative. It's just our role begins to change and we kind of, we start needing and needing the protection. You know, it's kind of like how you were talking about a female naturally needs that protective feeling when finding a new, you know, man. Well, when men don't have their identity, it's, it's all forced upon the woman. So that way, when a woman does something, it gets, it gets extrapolated way bigger than what it is. And it, and it makes us feel awful about ourselves. And so when a man doesn't feel like a man, he just is going to, a lot of men in our society, you ever heard of like the typical couple is, you know, the couple is cold. The, the woman is kind of like, she's not turned on by him anymore. He's not turned on by her anymore because she doesn't, you know, desire him. Right. And so he just kind of goes and lives in the basement and kind of you know, does his own thing for a while until the kids get through college. And then eventually they probably get divorced. Right. That's typically how a lot America. of America. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's crazy too, because, you know, women in their fantasies, you know, t- you know, traditionally are, are looking for this really tough, you know, macho guy who is someone that knows what he wants and is assertive and is all those things. That's what a man really wants to be. But a lot of times he never comes into his own identity to be that. And, and in many ways, women not knowing it can actually keep him from becoming that. And, and they don't even realize it. But it's, it's, it's interesting because you see you have these you can look at like the Kroger bookshelf or the Costco bookshelf and see, you know, like these romance novels that still appeal to, I think, female fantasy. And it's always this kind of figure, but in many, many times when a man feels like he's constantly being questioned, controlled, demasculinized, that identity never gets set in place and it never did from a young age. And that causes a guy just to shrink back and to take less involvement and to isolate and to isolate and isolate until obviously it, it, it usually can't be recovered by that point. And so it's this feeling of I'm not a man. And this is also why a lot of men look to other options is they're so starved for identity that anyone that comes along and gives them any feeling of purpose, even if it's small, seems like a massive thing. 
and it, it really has more to do with this gaping hole that we have in our own identity and our own heart. When a man ends up, you know, looking for something else, it always gets looked at through the lens of, oh, he's just a dirty pig or a dirty massage, but really there's much more going on in most cases. It's typically he just wants to feel like a man and doesn't. And I'm not making excuses, you know, I'm <laughs> trying to make an excuse and say every example is like that. But the desires are typically because he just feels awful about himself and this will make him feel like a man. Yeah, we're seeing a really big trend right now. I'm noticing there's a lot of it, it's really hitting 30, like the age bracket around 30 year old men right now, where I look at these young men and they have so much potential they have an idea of where they want to go in life, but a lot of 30-year-old men, that age group, like 20, even down to 25 now, probably lower too, are just desperately grasping for some kind of sense of identity. And what we're seeing a lot of now is they're going out with other guys the same age, Friday nights, Saturday nights, and then unfortunately sometimes during the week too, and just getting drunk. And that is their, that's their team unit is, is a bunch of guys that go out and get drunk and pick up women in bars and then wake up the next day with all kinds of regrets. And they do it weekend after weekend after weekend. And um, that's the false narrative. That's the 007, you know, macho man always has a new woman every movie. Yeah. 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 And then, but they end up miserable and depressed and suicidal and, Entering marriage, not really ready and well equipped, and then end up end up getting into a lot of trouble too. How do you think men in this position, at whatever age, whether they're twenty or fifty, for a man who has not really discovered or formed his self identity, what what's your advice to them? What can they do to to figure out who they are, what they want to be? Well, the, the best advice would be for them to find it themselves and that the, the groups or people around them cannot be the ones responsible. And there is this feeling amongst men that it's somehow manly to have a ton of women. And this is like a, this gets portrayed in all kinds of ways and movies and everything. And this is like a guy code type thing that guys will get together. And typically guys are partially rejecting a system where, you know, many of them feel like, you know, marriage is, is kind of like the deck is stacked against them. <laughs> like a lot of men feel like, you know, they're going to get used anyway. And there's all these, everyone has their reasons for why they go down this road, but whatever the case is, they're choosing to let this, this like false idea that gets reinforced by other men who are sad and wanting to have a buddy and a partner in crime. Right. So it's, it's kind of like, let's all, you know, everyone bands together and they say, okay, we're going to define our masculinity this way by going around and chasing women. And, and trying to feel manly and, ta- and tell stories about it and feel manly. I mean, I'm sure people can get a temporary high from this, but this never helps a person insulate their own true sense of worth or identity on their own. Only they can, only they can find that. And only they can only find that through, again, going back to those honest, difficult questions about yourself and being, you know, even if that's like, okay, let's say you're one of the, uh, I'm one of those guys that's hopping around bars. I have to sit back and actually ask myself honest questions. Am I happy doing this? Forget all the you know stuff I've been talking to my friends about and all the stories I have. Am I really happy? And just a simple question like that. And nobody is. That's the, the hard truth is nobody is. And it, they're only happy when they're in that environment surrounded by other men reinforcing 
this idea of happiness, but it's not theirs. They don't own it. They don't have this personal thing that they've now grown into and, and, and that's going to carry with them. It's all temporary. It's all based off of the feelings of, uh, you know, of this group think mentality. It also shows another weakness that we have to be running around with all these other guys to feel a certain way. So no, true masculinity has to be found on your own. Nobody else can give it to you. Even a wife, even a wife shouldn't be responsible for creating that for you. And that's another problem that some men have is they, they put it completely responsibility on their partner to insulate their masculinity. That's another problem, but it has to be found on your own, whether that's how you live from a spiritual perspective, the kind of questions you ask the creator, it needs to be always honest. If you, if you're the kind of person that sits back and just says, well, I'm just going to let the pastor do my thinking for me or my rabbi, or I'm just going to let them, you know, do all the hard questions. I'm just going to go sit back here in the pews. And, you know, that's a very passive mindset. Again, that's not someone taking responsibility for their own beliefs. There's little identity in that as well. Again, it's letting someone else try to form your version of, you know, let, letting someone else do your thinking for you in a way. So we have to be people that like truly think through our values, own our values and our morals and our, our beliefs and our religious beliefs, whatever they are and truly embody them, not have it be like, well, I'm just a, I'm here, I'm doing my part. You know, it's that attitude. It's that living vicariously. I've mentioned this in some of the stuff I do, but we try to live vicariously through other men, whether that's the spiritual leader or whether that's this sports figure that we idolize or whether it's this idea of a macho man presented in movies, we're living vicariously through other men. It's extremely weak and we don't see it. Yeah, I agree. And and I think too that this whole identity piece that you topic you keep coming back to and, and talking about really just made me realize in a moment's notice that really a man cannot be a good leader until he has you know found and created for himself his own identity because otherwise yes. you're leading blindly and it's really a, a false form of leadership Absolutely. And I think, I think the vast majority of all of us, we're faking it. We're faking our identity. We're faking, we're presenting something to people. We're presenting an image to people that we're tough, that we're this, that we're, that we have a lot of women, that we're whatever it is that we're projecting. But deep down, it's because we feel awful about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very hollow, very unfulfilled, very hollow place. Yeah. And we just want people to think well of us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so we present this image. But again, if, if we can find this personal, you know, the personal search when no one else is around, this actually is a very biblical for Christians. You know, this is something Jesus taught is to be, go alone and pray in private and find these things out on your own. There's really no, there's no other way, but to be honest, have honest meditation, contemplation, whether it is to the Bible or whatever you believe in. It's got to be something that you find out for yourself. And that can only be your own honesty. That can, it's only your own honesty that can find it. Yeah, yeah. I think so many people, too, they present themselves and want others to see, you know, who it is we want to be. You know, so it's, it's not so much. I think most people, not, not all, obviously, most people really are good people at heart. And I think what we do is we end up presenting ourselves to be the person we wish we really were deep down. And, you know, yes, yeah, some people, you can fake it till you make it. Just keep practicing it long enough until you become yeah. it. But I think the faster, more effective way to really form that identity and be who it is, is instead of faking it for, for a long time until it all kind of works itself out, 
is to do exactly what you said. Just stop and work on your own personal development. Ask those difficult questions to dive in and, and really ask yourself the tough questions and then be humble enough and wise enough and mature enough to be completely, totally, brutally honest with yourself to figure it out. Love it. It's, it's partly, it's like we have to live in the moment. And partly a lot of people feel like whatever they've done in the past, they're enslaved to keep doing. So the truth is just, we can wake up any day and choose to be whoever we want to be. And that's an everyday choice that we have that we sometimes don't see as a choice. We kind of see that we're just in some pattern, but it's only ourselves convinced of this pattern. We've convinced ourselves of what we are. We can convince ourselves of something else if we choose to. And so, I mean, I think, I think that just understanding our everyday choice, our ability to live in the moment and define ourselves in that moment is something that some people need to hear because they, they just feel like whatever I've done is, is who I am. It's not who you are, it's who you were. And so I think that's another part that people, people struggle with, but yeah, yeah your, your, your past does not define you, right? It's, it's who right. you choose to be in the moment. Well, let's, st- let's stick with this theme of identity for, for just another minute and dive into identity within marriage. Because I hear a lot of women talk about how mistreatment from men, whether it's a man in their past or their, or, or their current partner, but any form of mistreatment causes them or pain causes them to experience low self-worth and depleted confidence. And it can be true, you know, if a man abuses a woman in any way, whether it's neglect, verbal abuse, especially physical or sexual, it definitely lowers her self-worth and her self-confidence. You know, a really heartbreaking breakup between two people, even if they're not married, you know, women it, women take a hit with their self-confidence and, and self-worth. This is a very real thing, you know, but then flip it around Women can be abusers too, and sometimes physically, yes, but I'm, I'm talking more in the form of trying to control their man or trying to control a situation with him. And then we can also be very demeaning and dis- disrespectful, like you said, and you know, rolling your eyes or, or a really loud, heavy sigh. These are all forms of what women would probably like to label as being, oh, I'm just frustrated, but really it's, it's really disrespectful, I think. And I'm, I'm guilty of it in my past. I think we all are. But, you know, for women, it depletes our confidence. We take a hit on our self-worth. But what do these types of behaviors in marriage, you know, the eye rolling, the, the nagging, any form of disrespect, any form of demeaning behavioral or words, what does this do to a man and his masculinity. Well, gosh, especially for the majority of men, especially if a man doesn't understand his own identity, it's going to have a much, much, much more harsh effect. All of these little things. It's because that man is looking to the woman. He's not even aware of it, but he's looking to that woman to completely define his own masculinity. He needs her for it. His own identity, too. All of it is contained with how she's, you know, acting towards him, which isn't really fair to her in a way. And she doesn't know it. And and probably the man doesn't even know it, that that's what it's really doing inside to him. But a lot of guys, these little things, you know, like a way of saying something like eye rolling, why haven't you taken the trash out yet? That can in itself can be a very, very damaging thing. 
and a feeling like someone is trying to assert over him and that he's lesser than, and that he needs to just fall in line. And that is not a, for a guy who hasn't established that identity, he's going to continually feel less and less like a man. He's going to continually not exemplify any of those characteristics of true manliness or identity. The more that that happens, it's a, it's kind of like a cycle that gets started and then no one can figure out who's the one that started it. It just keeps going back and forth. And then he backs down more and more in his masculinity and his leadership and his assertiveness. And then women turn yes. around, throw their arms up in the air and say, why aren't you stepping up? <laughs> and women, and, and lot, Yeah. And sometimes some women step in more. And then, of course, that just continues the cycle more and more. And a lot, I think a lot of women do it out of a out of a self-defense, like someone's got to step in, you know, and, 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 and take charge, you know. And I think that's a lot of times why. But nevertheless, it's it's the cycle is, is already started. And at that point it can't, you know, unless there, unless people have a true like heart to heart, you know, self analyzation moment, it's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a list. Give us some examples of yeah. things that you've heard from other men or experienced yourself that, you know, from a wife, you know, specific behaviors that dampen a man's masculinity. We know a nagging is one. <laughs> Sure, I'm sure. I'm sure everyone can. I'm sure everyone can relate to you know at least nagging, you know, or or being nagged. But it's it's when everything that a man is asked to do is being either dictated to him, right? And so if if you constantly are telling someone what to do, it already puts a man into a subordinate feeling. And if he doesn't have that identity, again, he's going to be more and more he's probably never going to come to that identity if he, if he had, didn't have it to begin with. So it's this idea that commanding, commanding someone as opposed to being their partner and being there to support and to respect and, and love and trust. A lot of it is simply that. And then obviously there's sarcasm. If a man has an opinion and it's constantly shot down, that's another one. A man needs to feel like he can have his own opinion and be free to do so. So, I mean, I'm only listing these things. There's tons of things I, I would love to list about men and you know, the things that men do. But I mean, for a man that is struggling with his identity, it's definitely worth thinking about whether you're teaming with someone or whether you're commanding them or wanting to get them to do what you want. Maybe some women think that's the easiest way to get the job done, but I don't think women, many women understand how deeply that's going to affect him. Does that make sense? Totally. It has major consequences. And I, I think, honestly, most women have no idea how big, how big this can affect a man's personal identity. And that's typically because men suck at talking about it, right? <laughs> and that feeds into another part of the issue is, is not talking about it. But, I mean, I think women have much more power than they realize they do. If they understand that power, then they'll, I think they'll have a lot of success in understanding how to reverbalize or re-put a question a different way simply to, to enable him to feel confident about himself at the same time. Yeah, I'm constantly with my own clients. I'm constantly working on two major things with women. And that is one, tap more into your femininity. Because a lot of women do. They after after several years of marriage, disappointments, pain, whatever has happened, they tend to step up and start doing more and leading more and trying to control situations more. And then of course the man will back down more and more and then she'll become more frustrated that he's not stepping up to the plate and exactly what you said, she'll start dictating and nagging and why aren't you doing this and that? And I, I tell women to tap more into their femininity. And then the second part of it is 
to use their wisdom a little more because I think women, they get tired, they get frustrated, and then they just start doing whatever they think is going to work the fastest, you know, like, yes. and, that's, and that's dictating, right? But you, well, <laughs> you, you can't really do that. You have to just stop. And, and this goes for men too. You have to think a little bit first and use wisdom and, and how you relate to your partner. And I think people too, they, after several years of marriage, they just get a little too comfortable with each other, which is a funny thing because most people think in marriage, this is the one person you should be the most comfortable with in the world. And yes, that's true. But at the same time, you need to maintain somewhat of, I don't want to say a formality with each other, but you do want to maintain, you know, certain boundaries. You do want to maintain a certain level of just pure politeness and kindness. And and I think those are the things that tend to go out the window the first. And, and that's when di- dictating comes in. And women, we, we can be good dictators when we want to be. <laughs> well, I, I give you, I'm going to give one example of how my wife how she relates to me and the way it affects me. And, and it's an amazing thing that she does. So my, my wife never ever would be someone to, whether I talk to her about everything, but she would never be the one to say, Hey, you should do it this way. You should do this, this way. You should, whether it's business or whether it's what we're doing, you know, she never will go there ever. She doesn't tell me what to do or how to do it. But here's what that does is because she, because she's not telling me what to do, I'm constantly asking for her opinion on what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do that with almost everything. And she'll never tell me unless I ask. But if she was constantly telling me, I guarantee you I wouldn't be asking. Yeah. Does that make sense? Definitely. It's simply about a man really wants someone that he can have in his corner that he can explain all the things he's wrestling with. Cause a lot of times men struggle with, you know, everything in business, whatever they're doing, they kind of isolate that from, from everyone else, you know, and just kind of bear it themselves. And we don't want that. It's just this feeling of, I don't want to bring it up to someone that's going to tell me how to do everything, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and uh, it, it, again, that makes a man feel not like a man. I think many women would have great success in actually less is more kind of thing. Like, I think they would find their their spouse seeking them out for advice as opposed to them feeling like they need to constantly give it. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Can you give us a few more examples of things that your wife does that really enhances your desire to be a good husband, a good leader, to dwell more in your masculinity, to be that protector? And and I'm asking so women out there who find themselves in a position where, because this is, this is almost an epidemic, I think, at least in our nation, where, you know, women are stepping up more at home and trying to control and trying to lead, dictating certain things. They feel like they have to be the captain of the ship, the captain of the calendar, like all of this. And it really is emasculating to men. Because what I've learned, too, is that in that situation, for a man to rise up to his wife and fight against her to regain his masculinity, to regain leadership, to regain the position of being the protector and defender. He feels like he's fighting against her. I think it's just innate in men to want to protect a woman, not fight against this, you know, this person that he loves and adores and cherishes, right? And so So men are not going to step up and go head to head with their wife. They're going to say, okay, 
I want to appease her. I want to make her happy. I want her to have control in, in ways that she feels like she needs to have control. It's very difficult for a man to step up against a wife in this position and and kind of take take his role back because he feels like he's fighting this person that he's supposed to be protecting, right? It's challenging. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm constantly telling women, but I, I think that it would be great for women to hear from you, a very masculine man. What are some things that women who are in this position and they do want to back off they do want their man to step up as a leader, as a protector, to really be that masculine force in the home. What kinds of behaviors and things can they do to foster that? You might have to extend the podcast for this response. So, so many things that she does. It all circles around one kind of idea. And she makes me feel like the king of this house. Everything else that she does is all related and it communicates that same feeling. You are the king in this house and I'm going to respect that. And that might sound old school, archaic. It might, some people might get offended by that, but what she does is she constantly exemplifies respect. She shows that just in how she wants to cook for me. She like does everything that, you know, she's a stay at home wife and mom. Now she used to work her whole life. And now she, you know, she only stays at home. It was something that I offered. I said, if you want this, you know, I would love to do this for you. Definitely not wasn't deal breaker, but she's totally embraced it and absolutely loves it. The way she takes care of our children, the way that she treats me when I walk in the door, the way she treats me when I get back from a trip, there's usually a note somewhere on my mirror or something like talking about all of my qualities and how much she respects them. I'm like she does it verbally. She does it sexually. Everything that she does communicates that all she wants is me and that, and that I'm the king in her life. And that feeling of like, I can go out and slay dragons and then come home and feel like I really am that person. And even though, like I was saying, like a man has to have his own identity first, even though I have my identity, her doing this, I it completely insulates how I feel about myself in any given moment. Like to have her reinforcing it the way she does is honestly like I couldn't ask for anything else. She respects me so much that I'm honestly, I, I wake up every day kind of pinching myself. And all I want to do is figure out new ways to make her happy. Hmm. You know, I've never, I never thought life would, could ever even be this way. I never even thought this was how marriage was, to be honest with you. I didn't think this was possible. So, I mean, I, I just don't know, like for her, it's, and she's going to obviously be on your show soon, but I mean, I feel like if women understood these secrets of how to, how to help a man into his identity, how to kind of assist that process as opposed to, to block it, all the things that women really want is a free liberated man that makes his own decisions that thinks for himself that is assertive that is a protector all those characteristics you'll never get if you're in fear in thinking that he's not going to be that and try to be that for him you know the fear itself will destroy him from becoming it mm -hmm. and that's the hardest thing obviously everyone has their fears she had her fears she had things she had her issues from before she came to this marriage, I had my issues. We both had reasons to not trust each other. And we both just said, screw it. We're going to trust each other. And, I mean, and in a way that's like, you know, like everyone has their reasons for why they don't want to give this kind of trust to someone. And I, I communicated to her very early on. I, I explained to her what I was looking for. <laughs> and at the time I was thinking, man, she's probably going to get offended by this. But I was explaining exactly the kind of 
you know, wife I wanted. And she was like, this is it. This is me. You know, let's do this. So, I mean, we were just honest. I think we had both seen enough of the negative side to know what we didn't want. And we didn't want to waste each other's time either. So we were both just like, let's, let's give it a hundred percent and uh, let's give to each other. So, I mean, you know, we've been together over three years and it still feels like we're on our first date. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, she, she is a doll. I, I adore her adore you as well. I think you're very blessed to have each other. You have a, a great relationship. So congratulations to your three years. Thank you. Again, and many, many more to come. I know. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm just, I mean, every day is just, uh, it's like a dream. So, I mean, I, I would encourage anyone out there, especially women that are listening and the men that are listening, but you know, they can do so much to help a man. If he's not there yet, you can always kind of guide him into this place in a way that is not like purposely like, Hey, you need to be this, but you're just simply reinforcing it in him. It still is going to take him, you know, doing his own work to find his own identity. And I think men need to be more responsible in that and having that identity. So I'm not trying to get men off the hook here. It's definitely like a good woman can completely change a man. And if a man doesn't have his identity, she can help him find it. Talk to men for just a minute as we're wrapping up. What's one message that you would like the men listening to walk away with? I would say if I, if I was going to talk directly to men, man, I never really got the opportunity. It would be think for yourself, be honest with yourself, and be honest about the deeper things going on with inside of you. Don't feel like that it's feminine that it's feminine to talk about it, that you need to feel like you need to hold it all in or, or, you know, be stoic and be manly. That isn't what being manly is. You need, there's basic things that you as a man need. You need to figure out what those things are. You also need to figure out who you are as a person and what kind of characteristics and morals that you want to exemplify in those decisions of what kind of person you want to be, what things you're going to stand for, what things you're not going to stand for. That is really who you are as a man. So it's your choice of what you want to do in this life and how much of an impact you want to make. I think in that a man has to find who he is, what he wants to do in this world, why he's on this earth. He has to at least ask the question. It doesn't mean we're going to get the answer, but we have to be honest and ask the questions. And then we have to search that out. That's our purpose as men is to figure out our, is to figure out why we're here and then to do the most good we can and to help as many people as possible. Protecting the innocent, protecting those who can't protect themselves. That's all within us. That's all in our DNA to do. How are we exemplifying that? We need to be honest about it and, and ask ourselves if we are. It doesn't mean it has to take on the same form with all of us, but we have to, we have to realize that that's inside of us to do. So what, what's being blocked inside of us that's not letting that out? All these points don't really make any sense or do any good unless we're just simply able to go be alone by ourselves and be honest with ourselves about who we are, who we're not, and what we want to be. Very, very well said. That's a truth bomb that you just dropped. <laughs> Dave, I love the work you're doing. I believe the world is a better place because of you and, and your team and what you guys are doing. We really do need more men like you in the world. And I nominate you to write a book on masculinity. I think you have a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight. I'd love to see you do something like that, really. Write a book or, or start giving talks or something. I think more women in the world would benefit from hearing a man's perspective like yours. You know what? That's a great idea. I've been actually I've been thinking about this for a while. I've never really 
I've had a few different ideas, but this is something that I'm very passionate about and uh, I'll follow up with you on that. Maybe I will. Yeah. Anyway, I can support you on that. Let me know. Before we go, I'd like to ask us a couple of fun questions, interesting questions. So I've got a few for you. Number one, big, tough Mr. Mr. Navy SEAL guy. <laughs> when, <laughs> when's the last time you cried and why? Okay. The most recent, it's kind of kind of embarrassing, the most recent. Typically, about once a month or something, I break down and cry about some of the work that I'm doing. I try to hold it all in while I'm actually out there doing it. And then once in a while, I just kind of have a moment where I, I, I kind of let it all out. But the most recent time I cried, my son's been going, he's had this really horrible issue. He's never gotten sick. He's you know, almost two years old now. And he's had this fist disease or something like that. I don't know if many people have heard of it, but it's something that's been lingering for a long time. It's been giving him really high fevers and it's been coming and going and it's just been, it's just been devastating him. And it's one of those things that you can't really do anything to help him. There's no solution. It just has to ride out with time. I found myself the other day just kind of breaking down for him because I felt so awful about not being able to help. And it's just one of those things, you know, that especially when you feel like you can't help, you're just like, what do I do for my own child when they're in agony? You know, so that was my, that was my most recent. I've heard Tony Robbins say that, and I think he actually used Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, you know, men, men like that who are kind of known in the world to be a true warrior, you know, and, and he said there are two things that can bring a warrior to his knees faster than anything else in the world. And number one, that's his woman when she wants to. You know, a woman, like you said, the roll of an eye or, or a sharp word can can take a warrior to his knees in an instant. Yep. And the other, the second thing, is something relating to his child. Yes, I completely agree with Tony on both points. Yeah, totally makes sense. A topic I hear often from men is that of controlling their daily stress, anger, frustration. As a Navy SEAL, I know you've had a lot of training to teach you how to handle your own stress. Otherwise, you guys would be in fight or flight constantly and, and die very young from the stress. Uh, so I know you had a lot of training. What pointers can you give men to help them calm themselves down, to get centered and handle frustration, anger, and daily stress better? Well, one of the one of the things I learned um, going through SEAL training, particularly Hell Week, the hardest part of SEAL training, where they're really trying to beat you up and and make you quit and and convince you that they try to keep you sleep deprived, and it's a really tough season. And one of the things that I was able to do to get through, if it's let's just say it's like a tough time they're going through, okay, being able to focus your mind on the future when that when that tough time comes upon you, being able to see through it and know that it's temporary and know that you're going to come out on the other side and to visualize that moment. And the more you can visualize that moment, you kind of, you know, the, the instructor's job is to make us feel that this pain is never going to end, right? That's their job is to convince us this is going to last forever. But of course, that's a lie. It's not going to last forever. So being able to see through your moment of pain or your moment of trial and know that there's an end point really helps you kind of get perspective and to be able to give your best effort in that moment. Does that make sense? I think, I think it's when we get convinced that it's never going to end or we're always going to be this way that we lose heart. But anytime we can hold on, any method 
that we can use to hold on to that light at the end of the tunnel. And the more we can actually visualize ourselves there. And it actually worked both ways for me. Like that one of the reasons why I never really considered quitting was I could easily visualize myself weeks and months after quitting, purposely choosing to quit. And back to that identity thing, I would have to go tell my family, my friends, everyone why I quit. You know, and I could visualize all of that and the shame and the, you know, the personal issues I would feel about myself. Who would I be, you know, if I did quit? So for me, it wasn't even an option because I was able to even visualize the negative consequences of that choice and how I would feel well after the fact. So you got to look past what you're in temporarily and learn how to look past what you're in temporarily by focusing on the fact that it is temporary, your hard, your hard moment, your storm is going to end and focusing on that and letting that positivity come back to you in a way that produces a different actions during the storm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So it's like keeping the eye on the prize. And also another analogy I like to use is taking a bird's eye view, go up 30,000 feet. And I think it helps put things in perspective as well to see the broader picture, not just like you said, focusing on the moment that you're, yes. that you're in. Yeah, exactly. That's another, that's another great method. One, one, I remember one guy as we were, this was like right after hell week, we're doing this run. We were all beat up from hell week. We had a really tough time and we're doing this slow job. We're all, a lot of, some of the guys had stress fractures and other things and everyone's all beat up and we're just kind of a ragtag group running along behind the instructor on the beach and this other instructor was running the other way and he looked at us. He was a, he was an older seal and he looked at us all and he said, don't worry guys, it's all worth it. And I remember like just those words, it's all worth it really stuck in my head for a while was another kind of reflection point for me to again, look to the future, right? Look towards like, I'm going through this. Yes, but there's a future prize. I am the prize, like you said, kind of idea and kind of separated myself from, from my immediate torment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in marriage, a lot of people give up too soon. They quit early because they don't have the foresight to realize that if you can make it through this and many other trials are going to come, you're going to mature, you're going to grow so much more. And then together, your bond together as a couple is going to be much stronger than, than oh. anything you can ever imagine. That's exactly, I mean, my wife and I went through all of our Gosh, we went through some tough struggles in, in our earliest months of being together, just on, on all different levels. My wife has been with me through some of my worst times. And so it's amazing now when, when things are stabilizing and, and life becomes more you know predictable. When you have your foundation built in those tough times, it really makes a difference. And it makes you learn those. It, you learn some real valuable lessons about each other that you have to hold on to. Mm-hmm. All right, Dave, favorite quote. My favorite quote would have to be a hero of mine who lived during World War II, and he lived in Nazi Germany. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many people have heard of this man. He was a, a Christian man who spoke out against the Nazi regime, and his whole life, he ended up uh, speaking out against Hitler until his dying day, which was, he, he was part of Operation Valkyrie, which was an assassination attempt on Hitler. But this man saved many Jews during a season where not many people were speaking out against it. He was kind of that lone voice. And what he said was that silence in the face of evil is evil itself. To not speak is to speak. To not act is to act. And that's probably my, I think my favorite quote, because it really shoots an arrow right into the heart of, of human apathy, which is what's going on today in this world. 
everyone believes that the problems in the world is someone else's responsibility to fix someone else's fault. If someone's being attacked on the streets, you'll see more people pull out their phone and start filming it than people intervene and try to help the person. And this is because we have that passerby mentality. We're not responsible. And what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer's mindset was, was we are all responsible. And I think the more we collectively can get that into our psyche, can get that into our personality, the better we're going to make this world. Mm. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dave. How can people connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah, it's definitely not my uh, profession to dabble in and help with marriage counseling or marriage help or any, if any of that kind. I'm so thankful for you having me on. But if people want to follow me on my Facebook, it's Dave Lopez on Facebook. And then my Instagram is Dave Lopez 112. And I sometimes kind of update people and leave little remarks about, you know, my take on marriage and stuff like that. So it's not fully dedicated to that. But if people want to follow me, they'll get to see where I'm going, what we're doing against uh against the, the sex slave trade around the world and, and, and what our fight looks like there as well. Yeah. So for people wondering how we even got in contact, I know I, I got a Facebook friend request from you and, and as any smart you know, woman would do, I, I like to check out people before accepting a friend request. And so I go to your Facebook wall and I'm looking at some of the stuff that you had posted. I really was in awe at all of the very high quality posts that you had full of wisdom and insight and and humility. And I came across this one post that you had written yourself just, just talking about masculinity. And I was so sucked in by that. And I thought, wow, this guy really, really exemplifies masculinity, knows how to talk the talk, walk the walk, all of it. So that's when I reached out and said, hey, I, I, I need you on my podcast. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. You really have dropped some profound wisdom for all of us to learn from. And I thank you with my deepest appreciation for your service to our country, first as a Navy SEAL, and then now on behalf of all humanity, I thank you for the great work you're doing to free those who are persecuted and enslaved. So, Dave, I thank you so much. I love you. I love thank Amy. Thank you so much. Thank love you, Amy. She's a sweetheart, sure. too. And, yeah, I, I wish you Godspeed. So thanks for coming on today. Thanks again for having me. I look forward to doing this again sometime. Yeah, we're going to have you and Amy on to talk about another interesting topic regarding marriage. So for all of you who love the podcast today, stay tuned. They're going to come back together as a couple in about six weeks, I believe. So stay tuned awesome. for that. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Can't wait. Thanks for tuning in to The Marriage Show. I appreciate the time you took to be with me today. If you love this show as much as I love making it, please subscribe, rate, and leave me a five-star review. That will allow us to inspire more people together. And if there's someone in your life that would benefit from any of the subjects we discuss here on the show, please share it with them. Text it to them, screenshot it, or email the link. Let's change lives together. Let's spread the love. Oh, and please find me on social media and tell me what subject you would like me to discuss here on the show. So head over to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I really would love your suggestion. And if you want to check the show notes from today's episode, you can find them at www.themarriageshow.com. And you can also listen to all of my other episodes there as well. Until next time, love one another.